two, one. Good, good day, people. Night. However, whenever you're looking at this, um, what's good? Big said back again. Um, as y'all know, I have some people that think that they're friends, but they're just people I know. But here's another one here today. Um, people consider him a legend. I don't, but I'm going to approach him as if he's a legend. And I'm going to try to have a serious conversation. But by the way, I'm smiling. I doubt it lasts for more than two seconds. But <laughs> <laughs> we have on the um on the ugly side of the screen, we have um my good friend Bowlegged Lou from Full Force. And if you know nothing, you have to, even if you're a casual fan of anything that goes on in, in popular culture, you have to at least known seen heard of him and i'm going to allow him to introduce himself so that way we can start this and hopefully um this will be a, well it's going to be a great one not a good one but it's going to be a great one so hello bow-legged lou how are you doing today what's up cedric man and i just want to say hi to your your people out there and everybody what's going on i'm bow-legged lou of course from full force and let me just get this out of the way and you might have seen me in the movie house party playing one of the bullies with me and my brothers chasing after kid and play. So let me just say it and just get it out the way. I'm going to kick your freaking ass. <laughs> now we can move on. Okay. You know, you know that was definitely going to come up. Of course. <laughs> but um, let, actually, even though I do have a lot of bullet points and things that I want to, to speak to you about, mm -hmm. I just want you to give a brief it's probably going to be impossible for you to give a brief history. Actually, let's just start it like this. Let's just start with your entry into the music game. Like, what was it that uh, that allowed you to, you know, get into the game? And for the people that don't know, this man and his brothers, his family, great musicians, great producers, great songwriters, um, the whole kibash. And if if there's anybody that's really that I've spoken to recently that can actually be labeled legendary. Bo Lou is definitely one of them because he's definitely a legend and on more on different tiers. So I'm going to allow him to basically give a brief intro and then we'll take it from there because there's so many things we're going to, we're going to talk about. And like I said, it's, it's going to be a great one. It's just a matter of how it goes starting now. <laughs> so br brief intro of how got into the music game basically it was me and my two blood brothers which is b fine and paul anthony and sometimes like oh y'all are blood brothers y'all are real bro yeah we're blood brothers except my brothers they look more like me maybe i look like an orphan or something like that but we're all blood brothers i'm the oldest brother my brother paul anthony who played stab in the house party movie he's second and our younger brother is b fine who played zilla also in house party and of course i played peewee so but before all of that the three of us have been in this game for since we were embryos basically um i think b was like six years old when he, he first started singing with me and paul paul was the first one to start singing he was singing in the bathroom my father heard him singing a Smokey robinson song when he was really, really, really young. And he was like, oh my God. He went to my mother and says, honey, this boy, he could sing. Cause my father's been in the singing game and the doo-wop groups from back in the day. And he used to hang out with Frankie Lyman and all of that stuff. When he heard Paul sing, he was like so excited. So he started working with my brother on his vocals. And then um, I got jealous. So I wanted to sing too. So then he started working with the both of us. 
my brother B fine. He didn't care about singing. He didn't, he just wanted to play out in the street, but my father kind of forced him into it and he just got all three of us. And the three of us were singing. And, um, my uncle Cito, may he rest in peace. Also my father, may he rest in peace as Lucian George senior. My uncle Cito loved what we were doing. So he was the first one to get us like uniforms as a singing group. He said, he said to my, my father, who was his brother, I think these guys should be a group and start singing and everything. He got us our first uniform. He's the one to take us to the Apollo Theater. My father was our vocal coach because my father is just so dope with what he does. And we went to the Apollo Theater with my Uncle Cito. Um, and then my dad came also and we went into the amateur hour. We performed at the amateur hour because back then in the day, like Showtime at the Apollo. But back then in the Apollo's days, every Wednesday was amateur night, like in real life. And you had to win four consecutive weeks in a row at first prize in order to appear on the professional show. And we were so young and so little. We performed the song from my favorite group in the world, The Temptations. We performed the song Cloud Nine. And we won four weeks in a row, first place. Because after because before that, my uncle, my uncle's it, but my father kind of took over as the lead manager at the time. So both of them were still working with us, but we won four in a row. So Joe Tex, the legendary Joe Tex, if you guys don't know, he's a dope R&B singer from back in the day with James Brown and Wilson Pickett and all of that stuff. He saw us and he asked my father if we could appear on his professional show, which was coming up in the following week at the Apollo Theater. So that's what happened. We performed with Joe Tex on his show. Um, we did Cloud Nine and another song with his band. The Whispers also was on that same show with us. And when we saw The Whispers, there was five of them at the time. We used to watch them perform and we loved their choreography. And we used to bother them a lot when we were little just because we were so enamored with The Whispers. And then as we fast forward to full force, and we told that story about how we was at the Apollo Theater. And this was The Whispers first time at the Apollo Theater. And we said, yeah, we was little kids and we used to bother you. He said, those were you? You guys were the ones? Oh, y'all were paying in the asses. But it was, a, it was a great story. But after that, the Apollo Theater and everything like that, we stayed working, singing, the three of us. And then when we moved to uh, East Flatbush in Brooklyn, the three of us got together with our three cousins because my brother B-Fine was always with my cousins playing it. You know, they were, they were playing as a band. And I said, yo, me and Paul should join y'all and we could make this something. And I said, that's when we'll, we'll call ourselves full force. Cause back then in the days we went by the name of the amplifiers. So we became full force, the six of us with our three, three cousins, baby, Jerry, shy, shy, and Kurt. And we started performing all over, all over the five boroughs in New York city. And we were our own, uh, you know, promo team and we was killing it out there. And then my college friend, Steve Salem, he came into the picture. He saw us perform. He came to, we did a short club ecstasy in Brooklyn on Notion Avenue and Eastern Parkway. And we had lines around the corner for us just because of our promotion. And Steve Salem loved what he saw. And then we started making demos and handing them into record companies and nobody would take the demos. And then Steve Salem said to us, Guys, I think if you guys wrote and produced for other acts, I bet you after that, then you will get a deal of your own. It's just something I feel. And I wasn't with that, but everybody else was. And that's what we did. And 
and I got to thank him for that. May he also rest in peace because the production and songwriting is like the bane of our existence as far as, a, you know, musical musical entity. And the rest is history. Our first our first production was Roxanne Roxanne by UTFO. That was our first ever production. But our first foray into the major label and, and performing was with Curtis Blow. We, as Full Force, appeared on two Curtis Blow albums. And we um, performed and we co-wrote and played on two Curtis Blow's albums. In fact, Curtis Blow took us on tour, but we co-wrote our biggest Curtis Blow song was a song called Basketball, which is still a big song, one of his biggest. And we uh, co-wrote that and we played on that as well as musicians. And after that, then UTFO and Lisa Lisa, Cheryl Pepsi Riley. And then, then we got a deal of our own, just like Steve predicted. So yeah. it's crazy, but what a journey, you know? So did you, did you, since you were involved in R&B music, as well as doing hip hop, what would you class, what, what did you classify your group as at the time? I, I, I just look at it as, as um, a metamorphosis of everything. Um, our 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 really roots is definitely hip hop, of course. You know, coming from East Flatbush, and our first production was a uh, was a hip hop smash, Roxanne Roxanne, which turned out to be legendary. You know, Roxanne Roxanne was actually the B side of the rec. You know, we wasn't even paying attention; we was just a B side, and the A side was a song called "Hanging Out," which is what we thought. You know, that was like should have been the first. You know, our single, but um. DJ Red Alert liked Roxanne Roxanne. He's the one that broke that record. And we was calling him up at his house and we're like, Red, you're playing the wrong song. That's not the one. Well, I like this one. I said, no, that's the B side. Well, this should have been the A side. I'm like, no, Red, you got to play. The no, I'm playing the B side. I'm playing this. And then the rest is history. But as far as your classification question, I think we, we do it all because don't forget, we're R&B group. Yeah. But our productions went on to become pop from Lisa Lisa and even Roxanne Roxanne was a top 40 song with the pop annals and a top 10 R&B record was Roxanne Roxanne too. A lot of, a lot of people don't know, but um, I think we did it all. I know after UTFO, besides Roxanne Roxanne, they had other big records and the album called Lethal, which was a big album. It, the highest it went on the Billboard R&B charts was number two. And the and number one above that was Michael Jackson's album Bad, so it was crazy. But I would say, like with your mixture question, if you take it, Lisa Lisa and Cult Jam with full force, that first album combined R and B, hip hop, dance, and pop, all in one. And um, was that, that planned? Huh? Was that planned? Because I know what sometimes, because I used to produce as well. I know sometimes you go into the studio, your your intentions to do one thing, and something completely comes out which you didn't expect, and then all of a sudden you have a hit record. Not that I've had a hit record, but I'm just saying I understand like the process. Yeah, you know the logistics. I mean, bottom line, I don't think it was planned. We just, you know, my brother B Fine came up with the with the lyrics and everything, and him, um, he spearheaded the music. Kurt TT, our cousin also was with him running roughshod in the beginning, but B wrote the lyrics from Jump. So we had the song before we had Lisa Lisa. So 
I don't know if it was planned, but we just was doing just a dope song. But we had hip hop elements in it as well, because that's where we came from. But it turned into be a huge dance record, number one on the dance charts, turned into be a top 10 R&B smash, and it turned out to be a top 10 pop smash. So, you know, all of that. And Lisa was the first Spanish female to be involved in all of that, to do all of that from hip hop, dance, pop, the first Spanish diva, way before Gloria Estevan, before J Lo, before Shakira, before Ricky Martin, <laughs> before before all, before all of them, she was first, and with Cult Jam and with Full Force. That first album, we, you know, Michael Hughes from Cult Jam. He was the one to bring Lisa to us to audition because we already had the song. My brother B wrote the song already. And, um, you know, once Lisa came in and was singing a bunch of songs that Mike Hughes wrote, we was getting ready to say goodbye. She looked beautiful. and We hoped she fit the part. But by her singing those songs, she didn't sound all that hot. But she had the great look. And before she left our basement in Brooklyn, Paul said, wait, Lisa, before you leave, why don't you, can you sing something that we're familiar with? That we're all familiar with because she was just singing original songs written by michael hughes of culture and she said yeah i can and she sung an acapella song called for your eyes only which was originally done by sheena easton and um the rest was history we said yeah you know b always wanted a spanish girl i said let me try my friend cheryl riley which was Cheryl pepsi riley let me do have her do the song i said no 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 she's got to be spanish she's got to be spanish and and the rest of the history with Lisa was crazy. Well, especially at that time with the, with the way dance music was going, um, that, that was definitely the, um, I'm not gonna, I don't, I don't wanna stereotype it, but it was that it was a lot of, a lot of records that were pl being played in the clubs were being done like with, sometimes with mostly Latina women at the forefront. But um, yeah. Maybe, yeah. Maybe that's the reason why he felt that way. But, um, and I know that, um, that that's your start. Now, when Roxanne Roxanne hit, like you said, because y'all didn't anticipate it because it was a B side, and it became literally a phenomenon. As a matter of fact, I, I think I can safely say that there has been, there was probably a, a, like a thousand, like you know, sequels or runoffs or whatever to that song because you had Roxanne Roxanne Chante, and you had Roxanne's grandmother, Roxanne's dog, Roxanne's <laughs> uncle's next door neighbor, and things of that nature. And it became a, a phenomenon. Like, what was the mindset when it happened? Because, like you said, as a B side, you're not anticipating that song actually even be played on the radio, let alone becoming a hit. But what was the feeling when it did hit, and it hit for a very long time and just exploded? It was just so unexpected. We were so blown away. We wasn't expecting anything from that song. B, my brother B, just woke up one day and he said. Yeah, man, I think we should put a B-side on, on Hanging Out just to put it on there. And he's the one that came up with the whole Roxanne concept, Roxanne, Roxanne concept, which was because back in the day, back in those days with hip hop, you know, the male rappers, they always talked about getting the girl like all the time, getting the girl, getting fly women. But my brother B says, listen, all three of you will be pursuing this girl named Roxanne. But at the end of the day, none of you will get her like none of you that was his classic story to that and that's how the guys kango kid may he rest in peace yeah. educated rapper may he rest in peace 
Dr. Ice. That's how they wrote to that song. Now, when Shantae came out with Roxanne's Revenge, yeah, that caught us off guard. Yeah. And um, it, it, it was dope because it's still, it's spearheaded into the other Roxanne's coming out as well. After she came out with her thing, Sparky D came out with Sparky's turn. And Sparky D was actually repping UTFO. But Roxanne Shantae started it off. Now, we said we might as well jump on our, on our own bandwagon. And we came up with the real Roxanne. Yeah. Uh, we came up with the real Roxanne. And when that record came out, it was called Roxanne with UTFO. Part of, part of that. And me and my brother B-Fine, we wrote the lyrics to, to the real Roxanne, which, what happened. And the real Roxanne, for the record... Her, for the recording, her name is Elise Jack. That's the voice you hear on that record. But then when we had some, you know, some issues, we replaced her with a Puerto Rican Roxanne, the real Roxanne. And she goes by the name of Joanne Martinez. She's the one that you see in UTFO's video, Roxanne, Roxanne. And, you know, when we came out without with the female rappers, such as with, with the least in the beginning and Joanne. Back in those days, the, the female rappers weren't not saying they weren't female, but they didn't really flaunt their femininity at, in the beginning. But Joanne Martinez, she was fine. She was fly. Even Elise Jack in the very beginning. But Joanne was more, you could see her because Elise Jack wasn't in any videos or anything like that. But that's her voice. But she still was feminine and pretty. And Joanne Martinez, the same thing, you know. And um, she was the first, one of the first to be the whole feminine scenario with that. Because back then, Salt and Pepper, they was wearing the, the male dookie chains and Shantae, the same thing. And, you know. But um, we brought the whole feminine thing into that. And um, those those Roxanne sequels was bananas. It was like crazy because our Roxanne, Roxanne was already a smash before Shantae came out. But it just propelled it even more with all the answer back records. Never seen anything like that in hip hop. It was like at least 25 answer back records. And there's a brother by the name of Ralph Roll. He's a drummer. He came out with Roxanne's a man. Can you believe that shit? It was crazy, you know, but um, man, those were the days. I, I can safely say that no record has spawned that many um, answers ever. And I don't think any will because, just because, and even even when that happened, like, because I was surprised because, you know, listening to Chuck Chill Out and Red Alert and hearing all these different records and hearing a, no, a new answer record, Roxanne's, dog catcher and it's like you know <laughs> like where are all these people coming from and 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 why but mm -hmm. since you since you've had the expertise early mm -hmm. on when working with particular artists your resume is crazy when it comes to being at the beginning of a lot of artists careers and i like to name a few that people may not know based on the fact that um there are artists that you probably wouldn't connect a full force with because of how large they've gotten. So I'll let you take that. Well, we've worked with so many people, but the ones that we um, homegrown was, of course, uh, UTFO, because um, they went on to have other hits besides Roxanne, Leader of the Pack, Split Personality, 
fairy tale lover, you know. With you, I call I call want to be with you. Call want to be with me. Yeah, yeah, those. Um, so UTFO was the first. They were the first uh, indoctrinated of the full force family, and after UTFO came um, the real Roxanne with Hitman Howie T. We put Howie together with. Uh, the real Roxanne, and they formed a duo, and they had some some great records too. Especially as a song called "Let's Go Go," Bang Zoom, "Let's Go Go," which was a uh, top ten in in a lot of rap charts, and especially like in the UK, it was huge out there as well overseas. And so it was the real Roxanne and Hitman Howie T, who. Hitman Howie T is a great prolific producer himself and songwriter. In fact, he's the um, he's the one that produced um special ed who was a guest of yours on on your on your um your yeah. show and he, he worked with special ed and how he learned from us as well and all in the neighborhood because then he did chub rock and little sean and everything like that so he was really important even in our career he co-wrote and he co-produced alice i want you just for me for, which was our first single so he was very prolific after the real rock stand and, and hitman howie t then came lisa lisa and Cult Jam. And, um, and it's so funny because on the first album, we said, okay, how are we going to do this? Because here we are. Because once again, I never knew, I, I think we were the first group, first R&B group to produce, to be producers, to produce anything. Because produced by full force. It's usually one person's name, you know. Um, but what happened is that when it came for the album after it was smashed, because we we did a lot on that record. We did the background vocals with Lisa. You know, we played a lot of the music, the bulk of the music. So I said, well, shoot, since this is a, we're a group as well, we're trying to get a record deal. We're going to call this first album by Lisa, Lisa and Cult Jam with Full Force. Because back in the day, man, producers never got their credit like how they should have been. There's incredible producers, but they never really got their credit. We made sure to get our credit and put us, we even put ourselves in the damn video. And the record company couldn't say nothing because at the time we, you know, we was Lisa Lisa's manager along with Steve Salem as well. So we was able to have a voice on a lot of things. So it was always Lisa Lisa and Cut Jam with full force just for the first album. Um, after after Lisa Lisa and Cult Jam, then um, a friend, very dear friend of mine, so I always loved her voice, Cheryl Pepsi Riley, yeah. who um, we got her a deal right there at Columbia Records because we was on a roll. And Cheryl Pepsi Riley came out with uh, Thanks for My Child, yeah. which full force, which we produced and it went all the way to number one. In fact, um, I think at the end of November will be the 35th year anniversary of Thanks for My Child going number one on the Billboard charts. And that was a record about single, you know, a single mother, you know, doing the damn thing. And Cheryl did the damn thing. Cheryl went on to even greater success after doing her music because she still does her music. But, you know, me and my friend Gary Reeves got her a deal to appear in her first, you know, like the theater plays, you know, like the black theater plays, uh, Mama Don't. After that, then Tyler Perry came and knocking and must have put, Cheryl in like 10 of his damn music plays, which was great. So that's from the Full Force family. Oh, and then after that was a girl group on Warner Brothers that we discovered. And they went by the name of Ex-Girlfriend. It was four of them. Um, I used to go to school, yeah, we used to go to school together in high school. Oh, who, which ones? Music and art. No, Tisha. 
Tisha X, which is Tisha X, uh, Julia X, Monica X, Stacy X, and Tisha's a great person. So y'all went to school together. Okay, great. Yeah, we all went to school. Yeah, and Tisha's such a sweet person. I still keep in touch with them today. I keep in touch with everybody. I love doing that. Keep the keep the relationships alive. But uh, that that girl group was phenomenal. They're like the best female girl group, in my opinion, that combined dancing, choreography, and real singing. With the way they were stepping was incredible. Nobody could step like ex-girlfriend. Nobody, I feel. And this singing combination was just off the charts. And we had a top 10 record with them that we produced called Why Can't You Come Home? And Benny Medina, who worked at Warner Brothers at the time, is the one that signed them and to our uh, label deal over there. So those are all people part of the Full Force family. And then after that, man, we just started producing, you know, other people, uh, James Brown, which James Brown, we produced a whole entire album for James Brown and his last two top 10, well, his last two top five records in his career before his passing was a song called I'm Real, which, um, stayed up till number two on the billboard charts and another song called static which was number five on the billboard charts and those was his last two top five records of his career but working with mr brown was incredible man but james brown patty labelle samantha fox top 10 records with her um the late great selena we were the last american producers to work with her and um you know, working with Selena was fantastic. In fact, we did this song called Missing My Baby. And once we did it with her, she was supposed to come back to the studio to finish to do the background vocals. She had, she, she had got killed. And we they flew us full force out to Corpus Christi, Texas. And we did the background vocals. So that you see on that record, which is a, a Platinum Plus album for Selena. Uh, it says Selena featuring Full Force on um, on that song. But we also did um, the Backstreet Boys, which was one of their biggest one of their biggest joints. And we did Britney Spears and Justin Timberlake and NSYNC. Uh, this other pop group called LFO. Um, we worked with in the studio Big Daddy. We did this dope spoken word joint by um, Big Daddy Kane, Omari Hardwick. Um, Malcolm Jamal Warner and Blair Underwood, which is kind of dope. But we worked with Melissa Morgan and Forsome D's and Jasmine Guy. You know, I never even knew Jasmine Guy could sing or whatever, but we did a top 20 record on her called Try Me. And she was on Warner Brothers and Benny Medina called me, Lou, I just want to know how it full force like working with Jasmine Guy on her album. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Because I had such a crush on her. I didn't even know she was into singing and everything, but she is a triple threat, singing, acting, um, dancing. And we did, and we're still friends to this day, God bless her. And we did Try Me, which was a top 20, which was top 20 joint, you know, 3LW. We had a gold album with them, Little Kim. We had a platinum, working on a platinum plaque with her. A Rihanna, which we did her first album, Ponda Replay album, which was um, a million seller. Uh, Black Eyed Peas, we co-wrote Don't Funk With My Heart, which was a huge record. I mean, man, the list goes on. We worked with Bob Dylan in the studio and on his album. And um, then there's just so many other. Method Man, Ray Kwan, Montel Jordan, um, 
shit allure you know allure they did uh a remake we did all cried out in 1985 or 86 that came out with lisa lisa and Jam with full force which yeah, of course which, that's right which that song is so ridiculous because we like it was so ridiculous it was called for all cried out and even on the label and even on the charts we became the longest the longest titled um act to record or to record a record it was Lisa Lisa and Cult Jam with Full Force featuring yeah. Paul Anthony and Bowlegged Lou. That was the whole title. And it looks so ridiculous on the charts. I mean, after I think three weeks of the charts, we said, Yeah, you can cut you can cut it off. <laughs> but that's how it was, because me and Paul sang the male, the male, male versions. But um, that was absolutely crazy. But after we came out with the song, it was a big record, top ten, top five, platinum, single itself. Then 10 years after that. Allure did a remake of their own of All Cried Out featuring 112 and it was a big hit all over the place, especially yeah. overseas. And Mariah Carey actually produced that produced that joint on them. And we've been friends ever since with them as well. Yeah. I want to throw a name at you that definitely like I literally just found out. Um, she's from Queens. She was in a group that featured one of your um children. Oh yeah. So I want you to speak about that because she mentioned you um early in her career as far as you. I think a hot ninety-seven uh, no a Breakfast Club interview where she actually mentioned you. She named as I said it, she name checked you um on one during one of her interviews. I let you right. I'll, I'll let you reveal who she is. Well, her name at the time when we worked with we worked early with her early in her career, she went by the name of Nikki Mirage, Onika Mirage, but she's now Nikki Minaj. And she was part of a group called the Hood Stars in the early part of her career with my son, Lou Star. So what happened is that, and and she she definitely did her damn thing with the group and everything. We um my friend Neil Grant, he's the one that's the gentleman. You know Neil, right? Of course I know Neil. <laughs> yeah, Neil said, Neil said, Yo, Lou, man, you got to hear this girl, man. She's so dope, man. You got to hear her voice. You got to hear her. So I went to the studio where his friend Boz recorded her at. She wasn't there, but he let us hear Nikki's voice. I'm like, she is dope. I want to meet her because I want to introduce her to my son. Because at the time, my son, even though he was doing his solo thing, he wanted to create a crew, a rap crew. And, um, Nikki came to my house in Brooklyn. That's when the first time I met her and she came and she not only did she do rap and freestyle for me, but she sang a, a gospel song as well. And she started doing her her voice imitations of, of the of the English women and all that stuff. She was showing me the whole scenario. And I said, I got to introduce you to my son. And I wanted, you know, my son co-signed her then he's going to put her in his group. And that's what happened. When my son met her, they formed the bond and then they created the group called the hood stars, which featured a guy named seven up seven up. And my friend, my son's best friend at the time, Safari Samuels, you know, Safari wasn't really a rapper at the time, but he was my son's friend. And I thought it'd be dope for him to be part of a group. Cause he was like a hype man and he was entertaining. I thought, you know, and and Nikki and Seven Up and Lou is like, ah, you really feel so? I said, yeah, I think it'll be dope. And 
so far I became part of the group. And obviously in the future that him and uh, Nikki formed a relationship, but they used to be in, in my home and in the, in the basement working and practicing. We took them to every record company and as a group and they couldn't get signed, but we still kept up. And then we took the song. I took the song. I took the demo to Kevin Lyles, who worked at Warner Brothers at the time. Kevin Lyles, of course, was president of Def Jam at one time. But when he was at Warner Brothers and he heard the thing, he said, yo, man, I like the group. But man, that girl, that girl, that girl's voice, her, he was excited about her. That's when we said, OK, we've been doing this thing with the hood stars for a minute but at least nikki was in there with the fellas writing and doing her thing and honing her craft and nikki was a songwriter nikki wrote her own raps you know there was a time where people thought safari was writing her raps or anybody no no nikki was always a, a prolific uh songwriter with her own thing but um but Kevin lost it. So we said, let's do a solo joint on Nikki. Let's do a solo demo, which is what we did. And one of the songs that we produced on her became one of her biggest songs for mixtape. For her mixtape was called The Autobiography of Nikki, Nikki Mirage. It was called, but we called it The Autobiography, which she tells about the autobiography. She told, tells about when her house almost burned down and when her father is really dope. You could check it out on YouTube. The autobiography is a big record, but we produced that song. And um, with our boy, Sean Wright, doing background vocals with, with us, with Full Force as well. So it was really big. But Nikki, so after that, I would take Nikki. We took Nikki to everywhere. Jive Records. Uh, uh, with, even with uh, over Jay-Z and Ty Ty, because at the time, they they hired Full Force to work with Rihanna on her first album. And we was telling them about Nikki. And I think Ty Ty told me something, I don't know, you know, with female, because nobody was signing female rappers at that time, like nobody. And Ty Ty was talking about how, um, I don't know, Jay's was having some problems with Foxy. I don't know if we're going to get into any female rappers. And I, we rem I remember letting Ty Ty talk to Nikki on the phone just to say, you know, she said, yeah, your stuff is good, but right now, blah, 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 blah. But we took it there. We took, I took it a G unit. I mean, we took it everywhere. So we still was thugging it out with, with, with uh, Nikki. She was doing her thing. And then we parted ways amicably because we tried. We parted ways amicably. And I told Lee, I told, uh, Nikki, I said, Nikki, you know what you should do? You should try maybe putting your your songs or whatever you do on MySpace. You should do your stuff like that, possibly. And that's what she did. And I remember her coming back to me and saying, Lou, I want to say thank you for telling me about MySpace and to put my stuff in there. And I just want to say thank you for that. She she um, thanked me for that because that's where she was discovered by this brother by the name of Fendi. Fendi, <laughs> yeah, Fendi had this thing called the Come Up, the Come Up DVDs. Yeah. And he's the one that changed Nikki's name from Nikki Mirage to Nikki Minaj, which Nikki hated at the at that time. She hated it at that time. But Fendi did it, and then Fendi did something smart on one of the DVDs, because because Nikki was still doing the music. So on one of the DVDs, Fendi put a video of Nikki. Then in the middle, put a video of. Little Wayne just doing a promo shout out for the come up DVD. And then after the 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 uh, promo shout out that Little Wayne did was another video of Nikki. So that way Little Wayne is sandwiched sandwich into the Nikki video. So 
that's what that was his idea. And of course, little Wayne got wind of it. You know, I think his boys was like, yo, this girl, you see. And then he saw Nikki and then um, they eventually hooked up Nikki with Young Money. In fact, a manager after after Nikki wasn't with Fendi anymore, Nikki was managed by Debbie Antney, who's Waka Flocka's mother. And she was managing Nikki and she was guiding Nikki at the time. So the process, the the, the process is full force. Fendi, Debbie Antney, Young Money, Little Wayne. Yeah. And 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 the rest is history. I, and we always knew Nikki would blow up and Nikki would be huge. I didn't know she would be this huge. And I was so proud of her. And, you know, she even, you know, I remember when she made a donation to my 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 uh, foundation called Hope with a Vision, which, you know, because I have a disease called retinitis pigmentosa that leads to blindness. But I still keep doing my, uh, you know, treatments and everything to just to. Uh, keep hope alive, you know, that I'll have my vision to see forever until they find a cure. But she, um, she, she's been doing the damn thing and we're really, really proud of her. You know, all of us, my son too, Lou star. So, um, you know, God bless, but she had to go through a process and go through the experiences and she did, she's doing the damn thing with Wayne and, you know, God bless her, you know, but, um, yeah, but, um, we just, we just did a, did a lot in this industry and so much so that we forget some of the people we worked with, but, you know, it's like we even worked with BB King. I mean, yeah, man. So, um, you know, God bless. We're excited about that. Let, let me stick around because that's one of the things I want to talk about anyway. Um, the hope with vision spelled with a Z. I, I wanted you to touch on that because um, as, as long as I've known you, I actually didn't know um I know you have mental issues, but no, let me stop. I want you to talk about, you know, your, your condition. And, you know, that was a good segue when you mentioned that Nikki um, donated to your organization. Um, I, yes. I to, let us talk about the organization and the purpose of the organization because of, I wrote it down, but I can't pronounce it. So I'll let you, you know, tell everybody um, the condition you have. Yeah, well, well, the condition I have, retinitis pigmentosa, they call it RP. It is a disease that leads to blindness. Um, but in my condition, like I have no peripheral vision whatsoever. I just got straight vision. And it's like almost like tunnel vision. It's like looking through a telescope, actually. And when I walk or whatever, you know, sometimes I'm not careful, like a bump, because it first was was when I was diagnosed with it, a friend of mine's named Sean, Sean Wright, may he rest in peace. He's the one that was like, Lou, man, I don't know, you bump into a lot of things. Do you know that you'd be bumping into stuff and everything? And So he noticed, first noticed it, and he's the one that took me to the eye doctor, and that's when they found out I had retinitis pigmentosa. I didn't take it serious at first. It's a blindness, but um, i still been doing the damn thing. If I ever go out and on a date or I'm with somebody, they know that they're going to be my seeing eye human, especially when it comes at night. Cause at nighttime is like poor vision, you know, or you lose, watch your step. Cause I don't want to like, you know, bump into stuff and you know, people crack jokes and it's fine. You know, one time I was going to my driver, but he's a friend and he's a driver friend of mine. As I was walking out to go meet him at the car and I, and I didn't see this little ass, um, fire hydrant it was so fucking little and it was like up to my knee i'm like what the hell but i forgot to look down because remember there's no peripheral down up or sideways it's just straight ahead and it's like this like a telescope and i didn't see it and i smashed my knee into it i'm like oh 
And my videographer who was next to me, Xander, is like, yo, Lou, you okay? You all right? He's had sympathy, sympathy. But my driver guy, he looks at me and goes, that's it, man. We got to get you a dog. <laughs> I'm like, Jesus Christ. No sympathy whatsoever. It was funny, though. But, you know, I, I besides the, the medical doctors, I go to overseas to see Dr. Muhammad and do his treatments. And uh, Dr. Rosenfarb, who's in Jersey, I see him and I do the, the electrolyte treatments, the uh, oxygen chamber, because it's good for your eyes, um, acupuncture, because I don't believe in just doing, you know, one treatment that do alternative as well. And he's a great doctor because more than just the treatments, he keeps you positive. And he says, hey, if you're negative and you're naysayer, then you're not supposed to be here. So all of that, you know, is good for the mind and soul. So besides just the, and, and the name of my organization goes Hope with a Vision, which is V-I-Z-I-O-N. And we help others with impaired vision as well. You know, and, and we, I talk to kids, I go to Visions, uh, place in Manhattan, office in Manhattan. And it's just to help the best way we can with folks. I mean, we was able to gift this young lady that has retinitis pigmentosa, she could see some and she could play basketball. And we did, bought her a basketball hoop and we bought clothes and, and, you know, we just keep hope alive for everybody. You know, I was even a host of a talent show that was for the, you know, people with impaired vision. And I was telling them to stay positive, stay strong. And no matter what, all of us have inner visions. So even if you call yourself blind, you still have visions within yourself and just to stay positive. So stuff like that, I believe. And even my brother, beloved, my brother, Paul Anthony. That was my next, that was my next topic. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, man. But <laughs> yeah, my brother, Paul. Um, he was diagnosed with um, mantle cell lymphoma, and that just came out of nowhere. He was just working out in the gym, and somebody recognized like a like a bump on here, and he went to check it out and found out he had mantle cell lymphoma, a form of cancer. And um, but my brother Paul just stayed strong and positive, like like myself with my situation, and he stayed positive with his. And I'll never forget. I started going to doctors in the early going with him. And there's one doctor and they diagnosed him and the doctor tells him, hey, I'm sorry to say, but you only got like three months to live, really. It's only three months because it's in the fourth stage. And then Paul, like, I remember when I was there and Paul got diagnosed for the first time. And he looked into his Blackberry and automatically when they said you got mantle cell lymphoma, he looked in his Blackberry just to see what that means. But he was so strong about it. Only twice I've seen my brother break down and cry. And that was behind closed doors. That was the only chink in the armor other than that. And, and what he used to say was, yeah, look, I just, I don't know. I just want to be around. I just want to, you know, I, I only get emotional when I think I, I might not be around to see my children have children, you know? So thank God that he's still around and his daughter have a beautiful daughter. So is great but with that situation my brother paul was still steadfast and positive and you would never know he was going through any type of um depression that was you know because sometimes if you have these things you got to try to believe in yourself and and don't don't get down because when you lose your will then you lose your will to fight then you can't fight no more then you get defeated you got to stay fighting and that's what paul did i remember me and b they said listen just in case we have to do a transplant between your brother and one of you he's talked to me and my brother be fine you guys got to take a test to see if you're a match i said okay no problem me and my brother's down we're going to take our test i remember b telling me 
Lou, I think I'm going to be a match for Paul. I don't think, I don't know if you're going to be, you know why? Because me and him look more alike. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell am I chopped liver because I don't look alike? I said, listen, B, I don't care who's a match, just as long as one of us is a match. Because what I don't want is Paul to be waiting on a line for a donor. And it came back that I was 100% match and B was in a match. And, um, and I took the test, and then what happened is that they couldn't do the transplant right away because there was a 50% chance of him dying. But then when he had no choice because he started everything started going downhill and he was really fighting for his life, that's when they said, okay, we got to put Lou into action. Lou has to – we have to do the transplant. We have no choice. And that's what we did, man. And Paul still was, I'll never forget the the day before the transplant, Paul's grabbing me and he's saying, Lou, man, tomorrow, man, you're going to give me life. You know, he was hugging me and I was like, and I got so emotional. Then what I had to do before the transplant, I had to inject myself twice a day with Neupogen shots, they call it, that harvests my stem cells to get ready to give to my brother. So every day for a full seven day week, I would inject myself twice, like sometimes the stomach, sometimes the arms, just as long as I inject myself. And and I never missed a day at all, twice. And I'm just rating up for my brother while he was in, in the hospital getting weaker and weaker, I was injecting myself. And what I had to do, because his wife was telling me, Lou, try not to go out or anything no more. Don't go out partying anything, you know. Just stay at the the Miracle House. The Miracle House was right next to uh, Sloan Kettering Hospital, Cancer Center. It's one of the biggest cancer centers in New York City, if not the biggest. And there's apartments called Miracle House that they would keep, like the donors that's going to donate, they would keep them there, I guess, to stay put. <laughs> and I stayed put for like, maybe three nights there because my 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 sister-in-law says don't go partying don't go anywhere you know aka translation we don't want anything to happen to you because paul told me yo paul yo, yo lou man please don't fuck it up and get hit by a car before the transplant <laughs> he told me that shit and um when i was ready for the trans, when we was ready the, the doctor said you you um your brother's going to need six million stem cells to survive and if we don't get enough out of you, we're going to put a catheter to your chest and try to draw out as many as we can. And I had to sign a paper and all of that stuff for this, too, because they tell me that I'm like, damn, that's kind of scary. But they said, and you yourself, you might, you know, rupture your, you know, you could die. You can get a ruptured blood, blood spleen or and bleed to death and all of that stuff. And then he said, all right, Mr. George, you ready? And I said, yeah, I don't care. It's for my brothers. So I'll die for my brothers, you know. And um, when we did it, man, um, instead of giving my brother six million stem cells, I was able to give him nine million stem cells. And um, I remember going to his hospital room after the transplant was done, and he's I see him dancing and, and his headphones to some music. So, you know, it got very emotional, but I was so happy. But once again, if Paul doesn't have the fortitude and positivity and believing and having the willpower, then we don't get to that transplant, you know? So we celebrated 10 years of him being cancer free since the transplant. And, um, it'll be another 10 years. So, um, and that's what it is. We just look out for each other. I'm also, you know, I'm also a primary caregiver of my beloved mother who's going to be 87 years old. 
next year. And we pitched in that together as well. I never knew that my mom, you know, would eventually get dementia. And then it's a process because we have to be there for her. She can't get up out of the chair, out of the bed without us getting her up, you know, and, um, we give her showers. I give her a shower. Me and my brother be fine, especially with the shower guys. And then we have a, we have a, uh, we definitely have a, um, a village, you know, we have a village. My beloved daughter will chip in, uh, my cousin, Taisha, um, Regina Hall, who's a very dear, dear friend of mine, Pam Beck. Um, we do have a village. My, my nephew beef, uh, my bee's son. So we have a village that'll pitch in and help because a lot of people don't have self. So with my, my mom, we come together and we had a, a, a little birthday celebration for her, a pre-birthday celebration for her this past weekend because her birthday is actually November 16th. But, um, you know, God bless her. And we just got to keep, you know, keep that going as well. So besides the music, man, we're there to help out with each other and be, you know, teamwork, you know what I mean? So that's, uh, um, that's crazy, you know, but it's all good. Let's let's lighten the mood a little. It's so funny because everything you you spoke of like consecutively, like I have it right here. Like okay, this this that, and you went right into it. So I'm know. sorry, I'm sorry, said jumping the gun like that. I'm no, sorry. No, that is better for me, you know, because you know I forget my name sometimes. But um, yo, yo, I don't forget your name, damn it. I want everybody out there to know that we we was on TV ones unsung and we had a screening um with, with uh Ralph with um Uncle Ralph McDaniels at the um what was the name of that club said what's the name? SOBs? No. Wasn't SOBs? No, what SOBs? Um because Wiz used to spin there with Ralph and oh yeah, and one five. Yeah, we used to party that and one five. M15. And we did a screening there. And see, they mentioned my birth name in that show. But when they mention it, it just goes right, right fast because my birth name is Lucian George. I don't like to tell too many people, but it's okay. Lucian George. Lucian George, last name. And this guy, Big Said, he's up there yelling throughout the whole damn, the whole damn screening. Lucian! Hey, Lucian! Lucian! I'm like, Lord of mercy. Then when I found out his real name, which is Conroy, everybody. Oh, my middle name. My middle name, Conroy. Conroy. Cedric Conroy. Conroy. So anyway, but it's all good. <laughs> that was. Actually, you know, since we, you know, how did you feel making that unsung episode since you just mentioned that? The unsung um, episode. Because I know a lot of people, they either get emotional or it's like a... a trip back to memory lane because of course you're discussing things and of course we're seeing a lot we we don't see a lot of filming or a lot of things that don't go on so you have a better understanding H how did you feel when one when you were filming it and two when it actually came out to get people to actually comment on it yeah well filming it was great i remember telling my brother because they they i told them about my brother's situation so of course with unsung they wanted to talk about it. this when he had the cancer um, and, um, they definitely want to talk about it. So I told my brother, I said, yeah, Paul, we want to do unsung. So it was cool. We talk about your cancer. So, you know, people could learn from it and, you know, be strong and positive like you are. And he was like, wow, you really think I should do it? I said, yeah. And then he says, okay, let's, let's go for it. And then we let the people know at, uh, TV one and a Smith, a Smith Company, which is the production team that did the whole unsung um, 
episode. And we said, yo, let's go do it. And this guy by the name of P. Frank and um and Sharon, they were the P. Frank was the producer on it and director, and Sharon was also his assistant as well. And um it was great filming it. And it was very emotional because they had to talk about Paul's cancer and everything like that. And you better believe when we did that, when we did the first screening, which was at SOBs, and when it got to that part about one of the members having cancer, man, after it, after that segment went into like, uh, like not the commercial, but like into a little pause, everybody was so quiet because it was so shocking. And then, to find out that it's Paul. Paul's like Mr. Physique man and everything. And people was just blown away and it was so emotional. You know, what I loved about the episode was that I was able to get a lot of people to participate in it. You know, Blair Underwood, Chub Rock, and all of our acts, Lisa Lisa, Mike Hughes from Code Jam, Kango Kid and Dr. Ice from UTFO, Grouchy Greg, um, 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 Warrington, Warrington Hudlin, who produced House Party for us, um, Cheryl Pepsi Riley. Um, it was just Chub Rock. And Chub Rock is so funny. Chub Rock is, you know, he said, hey, man, these guys are unsung for real. But one thing in there, he said, he said, hey, man, they did everything correctly. Everything except the Jerry Curl. You know, and it's so funny because with the Jerry Curl situation, the reason why Full Force was pushed in the whole Jerry Curl forefront as far as like the musical acts, that's because we also sported it with our, with our physiques at the time because we all worked out spearheaded by my brother, Paul Anthony. He was the first one in music, in, in, in R&B music to really bring the physical fitness into your face. Other than that, nobody ever did it. He was way before LL and 50 Cent and all these people. I'll never forget Mike Bivens coming up to me and saying, yo, Lou, man, how do you feel, man? Y'all are the first ones to like take off y'all clothes and stuff like that and do body poses. How do y'all feel, man? Y'all started it, man. And I, and and it's true. And with my brother Paul being the uh, spearhead, even Tank, Tank calls my brother Paul the blueprint, you know? So, all of that is great. So, but we had the physiques, but plus we had the damn Jerry curls. So it was a combination. So it was full force, full force of the damn Jerry curls and the physiques. That was funny. I want to um, segue since we were speaking about hip hop. Um, this year is the 50th year of hip hop, and I, I've already made my views known as far as um, well. Let me let me let me get your views on just the whole. When, when, and when I'm talking about 50th anniversary of hip hop, I'm not speaking specifically of the culture or even like the contributions, but more so the celebration of it by the corporate um, entities that are basically shelling out a lot of money. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, listen, they're doing it because it's the 50th year of hip hop. If they didn't do it, then, you know, they would be bashed, you know? So I think that's just one of the natural things. I'm just hoping the celebration of hip hop will continue even after this 50th year anniversary. But it's better them doing something with the large corporations doing something as opposed to nothing at all. I mean, Cool Herc getting inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I feel that 
only happened because we're yeah. celebrating the 50th year of hip hop, really, you know, and, but that's fine. Let's, let's, let's take it. You know what I mean? But I feel hip hop is a, a big thing in music. I mean, when we first in, in full force, we helped to build bricks in the whole hip hop house and nobody really took it serious a lot. The corporation, the corporate big corporates never looked at it, looked at it as a fad. And now look, it's the number one musical genre in the world is hip hop. Is that crazy or what? You know, we 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 were told that it would not last when we when we first started, you know, doing it. Specifically, yeah. you were doing it longer than me. But um, um I I, I want to actually okay. You know what? This is what I want to do. Um, since you're so closely connected with the house party, just in general, because of your roles, and even like even though um, ain't my type of hype wasn't included on the soundtrack. But it was in the film, so people are always connecting full force with Kid and Play because of the bully aspect. And I know that um, I, I went to the um, past the mic at um, earlier this year at Radio City Music Hall, and I know that Kid and Play brought y'all on stage, which was a de definitely one of the highlights of my night. Um, just seeing y'all performing, and even though I kind of knew beforehand, no, no, I'm not gonna say I knew. I speculated. Oh, you I speculated. speculated. I speculated. Um, but um, but then seeing wait, wait, wait. what made what made you speculate it, said? Well, I was trying to be nice. You actually mentioned you actually told me to watch out because you, you're gonna be there. But um oh, I, I already I, told you. Yeah, you had um you insinuated it. Okay. You literally spoke <laughs> several days before that. I don't know what we were talking about because the good thing is like, like I say, you know, we speak every now and then. Right. You insinuated that it was going to happen. And I think that um, y'all had made a fake complaint about not being included or something along those lines. Right. right. You intimated, like I said, you didn't, you didn't exactly say, but I've been in this game so long that I get it. <laughs> so, uh, but to actually see y'all and then to actually see y'all performing and the fact that the crowd went crazy, yeah. I, know, I know that had to be kind of emotional for y'all because like, like you wouldn't expect it, even even if they were performing it, you're not expecting the bullies from House Party to appear on stage in character, so to speak, and then and, you know, and then perform. So um that was great. That was a big highlight for, yeah, for me. I'm sure that's how I was about to ask. Like, you know, I, I know because and the funny thing is that like I know you better than than, than your brothers. With your brothers is hey, what's up? But with you, we actually talk, so right. I, I could kind of feel you feeling it while you're on stage. Yeah, and man. It sounds crazy, but like I said, just because of my conversations with you and knowing you over the years, I know that certain things is going to affect you in ways because, I mean, it it, it would have to because it, it was definitely an emotional thing. And I, I did appreciate the fact that not only were y'all gleeful about it and y'all in the show, but the fact that the audience went crazy when they saw y'all on stage because there were there were a few surprises that night. And I think that um, y'all being there was definitely one of the highlights of the surprises. <laughs> and for people that didn't see it, y'all could go to YouTube and just put in uh, Full Force Kid and play Radio City Musical and you'll see different stuff of it. But what, what made it such a highlight is DJ Cassidy, who I worked with behind the scenes to help get other artists to be on his past the mic thing. Um, he came up with the idea of like, Lou, I'm going to need you guys for Radio City. We weren't billed on there at all, but I'm going to need y'all. And then he kind of constructed the surprise thing of it 
let Kid and Play do their thing, and then you guys just come and bum rush them, which we did. When people people were so blown away, and then we came and and Kid and Play was part of it too because we talked, we practiced it, we planned it. It was so dope, and they're doing their part, and we bum rushed their their set, and we did ain't my type of hype because a lot of people, not a lot of people, but most people, sometimes they don't even know. Wait a minute, the bullies did. They're the ones that perform Ain't My Type of Hype. People are surprised because sometimes they, they thought that was a kid and play song for some reason, some people. But to know that, oh, and this full force, then that makes them go back and learn more about us. Like, yeah, these guys are more than just bullies. They did this. They did that. And and then the running joke is here we are trying to get into y'all to the damn house party and y'all won't let us in. But you're playing our damn music. What the hell is up with that? But um. But yeah, doing that was such a big highlight. You know, the whole movie's house party, it's celebrating 33 years this year. Next year will be 34. Um, we never knew it was going to be a, 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 a hit like it is. And it still resonates today in our culture. And we didn't know when we was doing the table reads with us and Martin Lawrence and Kid and Play and Tisha Campbell. Um, Chill Mitchell, Eugene, Eugene as well. Uh, we didn't know AJ Johnson, John Witherspoon, may rest in peace, Robert Harris. We didn't know it was going to turn out to be the way it turned out. And it's crazy. The staple is, and yes, 33 years later, I'm still saying I'm going to kick your freaking ass. Or I smell, I smell, I smell pussy, which are two things. Who told me that it was iconic? Somebody said, yo, Luke, those are iconic lines that you and your brothers, those are iconic lines, iconic. I'm like, iconic? I never looked at it as iconic. Because I remember when we, I remember when this script was written, Reggie Hudlin wrote the house party script. And this is what we were told. He was, he wrote in the script as he was writing the characters. Because at first it was supposed to be DJ Jazzy Jeff and Will Smith instead of Kid and Play. But in the script was written, but whatever the main characters are, they are accosted by three thugs with jerry curls and great physiques. Somebody like Full Force. That was in the script as a description. So a friend of ours who was formerly co-producing Curtis Blow and J.B. Moore, he, they produced Curtis Blow together, but Robert Ford, may he rest in peace, he said, Reggie, why don't you just get full force? Why don't you just get them? <laughs> and he said, well, you know them? Yeah, we work with them. Okay, so how? And he put, them in, he put them in touch with us. He called Paul. Paul said, yeah. So they just wanted us to come down to their offices in New York, which we did. And we just did some scenes with just the three of us, just, just so they could see that we could act. Because remember, I'm, I'm a theater major from college. And and when me and my brothers were so young, I used to write home plays just for us to perform for our parents and friends and family. I would do that. So a lot of people were so surprised at our chemistry, except us. We knew our chemistry was going to be the shit. I remember when Ralph Tresman, we did House Party 2, and he said, yo, man, Lou, when I heard that y'all was going to be the bullies at House Party, I'm like, okay, how's this going to go? How are they going to, what's going to be the dialogue? Look at Spot Run. Look at So-and-So Talk. I'm like, Sam, what are we, invalids, Ralph? So everybody was caught off guard except people that knew us. But when we did the table read, in the script 
wasn't any kick your fucking ass, wasn't any I smell pussy, was none of that. It wasn't me talking like this, none of that stuff. We just read it regular, as regular like thugs. And I felt we were, you know, so after we left the reading and we went to our rooms, our hotel rooms, I told my brothers, I'm like, yo, man, we're like bullies, but we're like bullies with no personality in this thing. You know, I think, let me switch some stuff up and let's, then let's go and let the Hudlin brothers see what we got. And if they don't like it, then we just go to the, to the no personality bullies that they have on the script. I said, first of all, my brother B fine, who's the middle brother. He was the, he, his character, he gave his character name is Pee Wee. And um, my character's name was Zilla. I said, and Paul was always stab. And I said, no, B we'll switch names. I'm Pee Wee since I'm smaller than you and Paul. And I'm going to talk like this throughout the whole movie. And I think my brother B's like, what? No, don't talk like that. What are you talking Oh, come on, come on, come on. Don't do that. I said, no, let me talk like this. And I, and then I made up the McKinney fucking ass. And, and then I said something that I used to say in the studio, whenever we'd be in the studio and we'd look through the, the camera of, of any female that's walking into the, the room, I would go, I smell, I smell. I smell pussy. And then they would open the door. I would time it because just when they open the door, then they're in. But they don't hear, the girls don't hear me saying that. So I used that in the movie and I went back and I rewrote some stuff. Then after that, we went to our trailer. We showed the Hudlin brothers what we wanted to change. Said, yeah, we'd like to do something like this. And we did the whole kick your fucking ass and I smell pussiness. And I said, can we do it like this for that scene? changing the scene and after they saw what we did it was warrington hudlin not even reggie hudlin warrington hudlin so excited about it he said keep it and after he said keep it he walked away and reggie said you heard my brother said keep it and man we were so excited because you know what that meant that meant we had we was going to change every other fucking scene in there with our dialogue we changed the shit kid and play kid and play noticed that Yo, these guys ain't saying none of this shit that's in the script. <laughs> I was filming it. And they're like, wow, this is crazy. So then one of the lines, they uh, they came to us first. He said, Lou, you think Reggie could maybe change this line here? We'll show you. Like when y'all at the door and y'all say, I smell, I smell pussy, then we could say, hey, well, you would smell like pussy to a bunch of dicks. I said, yo, that's funny. Because we were doing it as we were doing it, as we were doing it in real time. And then they pulled it to the side and said, yo, let's tell that to Reggie. I think it's a good idea. And they did. And I, I co-signed it. And Reggie said, okay. And it was fantastic. But all of that stuff, all the dialogue is me and my brothers. We rocked everything. You run around town. We did everything. And the Hudlin brothers let us do it. And we're grateful for that because that movie changed our lives as well, as well as the song. Ain't My Type of Hype for whatever reason, wasn't allowed in the, the, the soundtrack because Sony, our record company at the time, Columbia Records, didn't want to put it on the, the Motown soundtrack. But they said, hey, y'all could use the songs. I got to give it up to the Hudlin Brothers because my thing is that if I'm going to use a song for the big dance battle scene, and if it's not being put in the soundtrack, then I'm not going to use it. Why the hell? But they use it because they love the song. And, um, and it was eventually put on the soundtrack on vinyl. If you go to the House Party vinyl, it's on there. So um, so House Party is a big staple in our life. And to 
and I know they tried to do a new one, LeBron James's house party, um, which I can't shit on because I refuse to discourage. I rather encourage, but I know it didn't get good feedback. But I even the, the, the three bullies in the LeBron James's house party. I even sent them like messages encouraging them. I just felt that the movie shouldn't have been called House Party. It was supposed to be a remake. They should have called it something else like The Party or The After Party or LeBron's Party, but it wasn't. And it's just because the only three things that remind you of House Party in it, Kid and Play did a cameo where they didn't speak. So I felt they were wasted. Then they had the two main characters in the new movie doing the Kid and Play kickstep. Then they had the three bullies, and with the one bully, um, I forgot his name, Rust Rustino or something. He played in power, and he he said, "I'm gonna beat your fucking ass." And you know, I gave that an E for effort, but um, that was the only thing that reminded me of how the new of House Party. But I told them that they did they did a good job. You know, just just I don't think the movie just should have been called House Party, the remake anyway. But um, yeah, it's a big movie still today. I mean, how many times are we going to see our the memes that they put of me and my brothers saying, Hey man, house party tried to convince us that these three were 17 year old teenagers in, in high school. They, that shit comes every year for the past 20 something years. So we stay relevant, man. It's crazy. That's true. Well, I'm not gonna take up too much of your time. I definitely appreciate the, um, the conversation. And um, like I said, even dwell into some of the things that, you know, some people may not have known. And, right. um, you know, I wish you success in everything you do, of course. I hope your vision returns where you can see even behind your, um, your head, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I know Paul is doing well, so I'm to that as well. And, yes, uh, indeed. Yeah, and until we see see each other in person, like I said, thanks once again. Is there anything that you'd like to um, let let the public know, um, websites, any, like anything? Yeah, they can, we have a website. Um, of forceful six and forceful enterprises full force world um i'm on social media just type in the name bo legaloo and everything will come up paul anthony as well full force on facebook everything like that and just letting everybody know out there man that have a dream because we full force felt we should have made it as far as in the music for a long time but um it just wasn't the cause but we stayed believing never giving up you know, when we would practice in our basement, in Kurt's basement, we would always talk about the type of videos we're going to make. So we never knew. We always knew we'd be successful. We just didn't know when. Yeah. And when it happened, you know, it's just crazy to know people know our names. And so just for everybody out there that want to be somebody in music or not music, just in a, in a profession, Always believe in yourself and never give up. And no matter how many doors are slammed in your face, you get up and just go knock on another door. Never lose hope if you truly believe. If you truly believe, you got to stay positive and stay strong. And I'll always be sending out prayers to people out there and saying, may all the positive and optimistic things in life forever be yours. And said, I want to say this has been an honor. Um, I get so many requests to, to do these things and I haven't done a lot 
before and even when COVID was up. But with you is good. You've always been a cool guy. Um, your sense of humor is bananas. Sometimes I love when you and um, DJ John Quick go at each other on social media. It's hilarious. And um, I love you, my brother. And um, when I saw... When I saw you do your thing with Special Ed on the show, you know, I'm like, wow, yeah, we got, I got to get on that. I got to get on that show. It was really, really, really great, you know, so. Um, well, I, I want to leave on this note. Thanks, once again. I want to leave on this little note. Lucian! Shut the hell up, <laughs> Shut the hell up, <laughs> Conroy. <laughs> once again, everybody, this is Big Set, Industry Cosign, Bowlegged Lou, Full Force. And until um, next time, see ya soon. Yes, indeed. God bless y'all. Keep kicking some freaking ass. <laughs>